0: Hey everyone, Brian from All Day Off here, and today's podcast interview is with Grant Shimsky. He is a fellow GRT, he has completed GORUCK Selection, Class 5, and I'm really excited to have him on to talk about that. Before we started talking, I didn't realize that him completing Class 5 was actually his second GORUCK Selection attempt, so we talk about his first attempt, then some of the stuff he did between the first one and his second attempt, that event, and how he's doing. I really hope that you're doing well, staying safe out there. I know everything's really crazy, so I hope that you enjoy this interview because it's a fun one, and hopefully it motivates you to keep training and keep a good schedule. Again, hope you're staying safe out there. You're listening to the All Day Rock Off Podcast, episode number 150. Thank you so much for the support. Thank you for downloading this episode. Really, really hope you enjoy this podcast episode with Grant. Had a ton of fun talking with him. Hopefully, we'll have him back on in the future to talk about some of the other large events he's done. Excited to be celebrating 150 episodes. Seems like a pretty big number. I remember celebrating double digits and then triple digits, and here we are, 150. So that's pretty cool. Thank you for being along for the ride. And here is the interview with Grant. Today, I'm talking with Grant Shimsky. Really, really excited to have him on. We're going to be talking about GORUCK selection, and I just I can't wait to get into this call. Grant, how are you doing today?
1: Doing great. How are you today?
0: Not too bad. Not too bad. Yeah, man. Thank you for reaching out. Uh, I really appreciate this. I've been meaning to have you on, and then the the stars just aligned. You reached out, and this is perfect. Thank you again for doing that.
1: No, no problem. It's like a like a blast from the past. Uh, I haven't uh, been in the go ruck sphere of things for a really, really long time. And uh, you know, I was uh, man, what was I doing the other day? I was searching around and found the uh, all day ruck off podcast. And I really liked um, liked your setup and and saw some cool things on there. And I noticed a couple episodes. Oh, it was from the uh, Ruck Wars podcast from James Vreeland. And I saw my buddy on there and looked back into it and realized, you know, you had this long, you've got a lot of episodes on there. What are you in the 200s now?
0: This will be, you'll actually be episode 150.
1: Oh, okay. Fantastic. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm a big podcast junkie and, um, you know, saw that and looked at it, it that your podcast wasn't around when, when I was doing Goruck stuff or it might've been just getting started at that time. And so, you know, seeing all these awesome things, uh, that have developed out of the community and how robust it is, um, yeah, I just wanted to reach out and see how things were going. So it was great.
0: I really appreciate that. And, I mean, James was on, talked about his selection experience in addition to Rock Wars. And, I mean, dude, that guy's a riot.
1: Yeah, I love James. He's an awesome guy. Um, the dude has no quit in him. He just seems to always be uh, working on some kind of really cool project. I love uh, the way he's able to bring people together with new and creative ideas.
0: Absolutely. So for people who don't know, what Goric selection class did you complete and what year was that?
1: Yeah, I've had to, I've made sure to like write a lot of this stuff down so I don't screw my own stuff up and forget. And will be like, does this guy really, Did he really do this stuff? Uh, he might just be making it up. So class 005 was the selection class that I cast. So it was my second time uh, attempting selection. Um, and that was in Chicago. Was when they did that. I believe it was in
0: A. And that was back when they weren't running one selection class a year. So this wasn't selection class five right. five years after the start.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, so I was uh I, was, I remember listening to Vreeland's episode, and he does a better job. He was a little more in touch with the GoRuk community when he signed up for it. He got a good timeline in terms of like how long it was after screener. But yeah, there was like the period of time when after the screener, they kind of, I don't know whether they anticipated how popular selection was going to be. And then um seems like a couple of the cadre uh, kind of latched onto it and, and and they started to do one about once every month or every other month. seems like it picked up steam there and went really hard when. Uh, Bert and Tyler kind of took over selection there for a little while and then trickled back towards the once a year kind of deal. I think, Uh, yeah, so this is right at that time when it was just starting to kind of spool up when they were starting to offer it pretty often.
0: So class five was your second attempt at it. What class was your first attempt?
1: Yeah. Uh, First attempt was actually 002. So uh in uh Kling's class, the infamous Kling's class, there's some funny, funny jokes there if Kling listens to this that uh, we used to joke about sometimes. But <laughs> yeah, uh that was that was his class, that video, uh those videos, uh the original ones, like like uh you were talking with me about a minute ago, like when there was hardly anything out there about selection, there was what, uh one or two videos that had come out after zero zero two that are still on YouTube. I'm sure. But those are the only ones. If you wanted to know about selection, you kind of got a little bit of a glimpse of it at the time. So yeah. And that, that was interesting finding that it, I was pretty new to go Ruck when I saw selection on there. And, um, it was, I was definitely one of those ones who didn't know what it was and showed up with, you know, I was, uh, a year or two out of the army at that point. And so I was one of those guys who showed up with like a full on mountain ruck with, you know, changes of clothes, a notebook, a compass, uh, (laughs) a bivy and I was ready to, you know, do patrols or something. I didn't know. I had no idea what we were going to (laughs) do.
2: Oh,
0: it's funny looking back, but I mean, like you said, at the time there was no information out there. I yeah. mean, there just there wasn't much of anything. And yeah,
1: I was very still on like a three day FTX or something. Like, I didn't know what was going on. We were going to camp out and, you know, do nighttime patrols or something. I have no idea.
0: Well, if you haven't checked it out yet, I had Klingon, gosh, about a, maybe a year ago, year and a half ago almost. And he talked about his selection experience and, That guy, he's got stories. So if anyone else listening has not listened to that, that guy almost missed the start of his event driving over.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Oh, and we've joked about that since then because there was, we were waiting at the start in the parking lot there uh, for a while. And uh, before we hit the beach the first time, uh, the packing uh, list inspection kind of thing. And I remember a dude running up and getting... Posed by Cadre for, yeah, showing up late. And, uh, yeah, we always joked about that, right? That uh, if he had showed up on time, he probably would have quit because uh, it would have been, a, you know, but he got off a little easy because he only, he only did like, uh, you know, 15, 16ths of selection.
2: it <laughs> <laughs> oh. was
1: awesome. And he was my motivation, man. He was my motivation to come back and finish. I, I kind of joke a lot that, you know, the – passing for me was fueled by hatred. <laughs> I joke a lot that you don't need uh, clean, um, you know, paladin like uh, conviction and purity to uh, be motivated to finish a, a major event. You can just be really uh, spiteful.
0: <laughs> don't underestimate the power of spite.
1: <laughs> right. Right. That was, I was so mad from uh, not finishing that event that I, you that. Went into fueling the next uh, three or four months of training to get back at it and come back for for
0: class five. That's perfect. So the first class you attempted was class two. Was that your first Goruck right. event, or had you previously done one of the challenges?
1: Yeah, no, it was. I had done I had done one challenge before that. So it was class one nine five in Charlotte, North Carolina. I think that might have been Todd Cruz's first one too. There's a bunch of other guys. So that was their first one. And that was um with Lou and Wood, who I think that he'd only did a couple of events and then he went to medical school or something like that. But that guy was vicious. Uh and it was great. It was it was an awesome event. Again, one of those ones where you know, everyone's classic first go rook event where, you know you don't know anything about it, you show up with all the wrong junk and you get totally torn up (laughs) and then pay for it for the next week afterwards. I I think I did the whole thing. It was in the summertime, so it was pretty warm. And I think my wife Chanel and I did it in like short shorts and a t-shirt. And I am a super white, you know, semi-Swedish Scandinavian. So in the North Carolina grass and, and woods areas that we were in. I think I had poison ivy, oak, and many other types of allergic, you know, deal for a couple of weeks afterwards, just, you know, Benadryl and sleep. Every kind of poison, whatever you can imagine from the low crawls and, uh, you know, I, IMTs and all that good stuff through, throughout that was, uh, was a fun fun thing to regret afterwards. But it was a good experience.
0: Yeah. When you finished that event, did you think you'd do another event with Gorak or you're thinking man that's a that's about it for me
1: you know I think it's just one of those things It's the same type of personality I think that is the, the classic you know ultra endurance adventure race person go person and crossfit person I think that's why the, those cultures mesh together so well is it's one of those you know friend calls up hey man I got a crazy idea. And you're like, yeah, I'll be over in five minutes, ready to go. And then afterwards you're like, that was the worst experience of my life. I hate this. I don't ever want to do it again. And then uh, a week goes by and then you're like looking, you're scrolling through (laughs) for the next one. I mean, it's just that vicious cycle. Like, I I feel like that's just the type of person. And uh, this, this lifestyle really, really fits that. So yeah, no, I, I, you know, immediately afterwards, heck no, I didn't want to do another one. But, uh, you know, I think it only took a week or, or so, and then, you know, you're back for another, for sure. Um, no, I originally found GORUCK through a Spartan Race, I believe. Uh, I think an ad for Spartan Race had popped up in a Facebook news feed somewhere, and we were in Charlotte, North Carolina, and signed up for it, went over, did it, and then uh, I think there were a bunch of GORUCK people there or something like that. And, uh, not hundred percent sure whether it was an ad or, or I know there were GORUCK people there at the event. So one way or another, it, that wormed its way into our, into our mindset and we ended up looking it up. Yeah.
0: That was actually an interesting time. Cause there was, um, GORUCK actually did some like crossover events with Spartan Race back then.
1: Yeah. Cause that was when they did like the, I think, I don't know if they still do it, but they did like the hurricane heats and stuff like that. So that special, heater, or whatever, where everyone had all kinds of weird objects and stuff. It was very sort of GORUCK-ish. And it was team team done, uh, uh, done as a big group
0: kind yeah. of thing. Yep. Yeah, they're still running that event.
1: I know, that was super popular.
0: GORUCK actually helped run a couple of them for a, a few months, at least. I flew down to Texas for one of those events. And that was funny seeing you know the people who run Spartan Race running the event right next to the people who, you know, the GORUCK cadre so that was a definitely a neat yeah. time that's where i ran into mark webb
2: oh yeah
1: i love mark yeah man <laughs> great guy
0: he was down there olaf was down there it was yeah crazy um yeah another really interesting guy
1: yeah the ogs man yeah uh definitely for sure olaf is definitely one of those guys that um you know, his laundry list of crazy stuff that he's done is hard to believe.
0: It's like a Walgreens receipt. It thing's forever.
1: Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> well, and that's, I think you had the conversation with James, which was, which was a really good one. And he made a really good point was the the original, the, the beginning days, like that head scratcher of why, you know, some of these first selection classes or, or big events had so many people, get through it was because there there are there's these this very small number of very special kind of human beings and I just mean like genetic they're genetically different you know like if uh have you met Chris way before
0: I've talked to him dozens of times but I have not met him in yeah. person
1: just a different type of person if you hang out with him like you know he's a professional climber but the dude is like a different kind of human being, you know, where I w- when we were working together and I was starting to geek out on CrossFit and kind of getting into lifting and stuff. And I, I, I was hanging out with him at a, at one of his climbing gyms and, you know, a lot of climbing gyms have like a little gym set up in the corner and uh, you know, I was showing him some, like he had never really deadlifted before. He was thinking about some weightlifting stuff. And I, so I showed him deadlifting and the dude goes like, like this and like picks up my one rep max or over my one rep max, like, like this, this is how you deadlift. I'm like, God,
2: dang it, man. (laughs)
1: Like, (laughs) he's just one of those kind of human beings. He's just like, you know, like you hear about that with the, you know, talking about the old school, like CrossFit games, where like Annie Thor's daughter shows up at, And there's ring muscle ups in the, in the event. And she has never done been on the rings before. And they're like, Hey, do it like this. And she's like, Oh, like this. And does a ring muscle. Oh yeah. Okay. You got it. Cool. Go out there and do 50 of them for time. Like (laughs) those kind of people, man. And that's, those are the kind of people that, you know, showed up for some of those. And that's what they do. They go around and the new biggest, craziest thing. They're the ones who tackle it first, you know?
0: Absolutely absolutely and that's why you see so many of them at those first events of their kind because i mean that's that's what they love
1: yeah 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 for sure and that was and just you know it's inspiring though it's kind of uh you hear that whole old maxim or you know i geek out on west side barbell a lot and louie was always fond of saying um you know if you run with the lane you develop a limp or uh, you know you don't want to be the person in your gym with the highest back squat cuz you'll never progress and uh so having People like that in your sphere of influence is, I think, really, really important to hang out with people who are just really good because <laughs> they drive you and motivate you to be better. And that, that's definitely uh, something that I drew on in, in those early days or training for selection was, you know, these people who were just out ahead of me so I could chase them.
0: That's just awesome advice all around there for you know more than just co rucker or wrecking events. So getting back to you know how you found about selection, because you had just finished up your Go Challenge event, which I mean Go now calls the tough. At some point between there, right. I mean the screener came out, you were, the first class you did was class two. What made you want to sign up for Go uh, Selection?
2: Um I
1: think it's is is sort of just a kind of missing the military a little bit, I think that was what it was. It was sort of like trying to fill that niche, having, um, you know, left the, the military and like being pursuing education and, and all of that. There's, there's that level of like challenge and camaraderie and just kind of a hardcore get it done attitude that doesn't get that, that box doesn't get checked very well in the civilian world. And, uh, I think that's what, that's what drew me back to like Spartan race originally. And then, and then to go um, you know, it was kind of just to get a little bit of that back into my life. You know, I actually was looking at Trek. I was looking at Trek originally and there was a, I can't remember what was that. I think it might've been in Atlanta and I had actually paid for it now that I remember and then something happened, like they canceled Trek. Like, I think, I don't know if you remember Trek, but it, it was like sort of sketchy. You know, they, they like threw people in trunks and did like interrogations and weird stuff like that. And I think they had done it once or twice and had, had kind of gone off the rails a little bit in terms of like, I think someone had looked at it and been like, I don't know if we can legally... To like stand up in court if, if something goes wrong at one of these events, and I think they had canceled them, and so I end up with a credit uh, for you know it was a pretty expensive event, and uh, and so I was looking around at something else, and selection was on there, and so I was like, Meh, well, why not <laughs> Let's do that? So that was zero zero two, <laughs> and I was at Fort Bragg, North Carolina at the time, and Jacksonville, Florida is a easy. Five hour drive down, you know, I ninety five, straight shot. So it was uh it wasn't too hard to get down there.
0: That's perfect.
1: So yeah, signed up and went. Yeah.
0: I was signed up for Trek in Seattle. They were supposed to bring it out, but trek never made it this way because of that whole thing. They ended up stopping running the events. And I'm I'm sure that's why. You know, you can zip zip tying people, throwing them in the trunk.
1: Yeah, a bunch of the Selection guys who you'd done screener and that kind of stuff had also done treks the few that had happened and their stories from it were just out there <laughs> just crazy you know so lots of drinking, lots of weird stuff not a whole lot of oversight you know plenty of opportunities for things to go uh, a little crazy but also great opportunities for really awesome stories so it's a fine line there. <laughs> it's,
0: a, it's a very fine line that's where some of the best <laughs> stories are born
1: yeah exactly. exactly. So no, there was not a whole lot of train up for zero zero two, um, but I was also still, like I said, I wasn't too far out of the military at that point and was still doing a whole lot of other stuff. and so um, was in pretty good shape for it, but uh, it just was not not what I was used to the the special operations kind of like selection tempo, and specifically that event. I mean, it was, it was very different. And I think, um, I don't know if it comes up, there's a little snippet in one of those original YouTube videos where it's got a clip of me kind of talking about it a little bit, but like in, in most military stuff, it's, it's dragged out over days or weeks, you know, even, you know, uh, SFAS is, you know, 21 days. It might be longer than that now, but 21, 28 days, something like that. So stuff is Happening over a longer time frame, whereas in Goruck in selection it happens in you know 48 plus hours. So everything's happening on top of each other with no breaks in between. I mean the intensity is just through the roof. And uh, so most of my conditioning and, and things like that at that point had been for ultra endurance or longer running kind of stuff. And that was more in the vein of you know your heart rate's through the roof the whole time and you're at muscle failure pretty much from the beginning through <laughs> and so it was just not not quite prepared for that.
0: So when you say longer running, what kind of distances are you talking about?
1: Yeah, um well, it was kind of typical, you know, the military has a bad habit of doing like long runs and so you know, 3 to 3 to 8 to 10 mile kind of stuff. I did get into after go ruck stuff a little bit longer distance ultra endurance adventure kind of stuff that pushed up into like the 20 to 40 miles. But at that point, not much further than five to eight miles. So even then the mileage and selection was not only was the intensity high, but the mileage itself as well was really, really high. So, and uh, the other factor too, that you would, no one can shortchange is, is environmental, you know, um going from, North Carolina to the beach. If anyone's been on the beaches in Jacksonville, like that is a austere environment, <laughs> austere environment, hostile. That's actually, it's a new word I made up. It's a combination of hostile and austere. Uh, <laughs> it's the wind for whatever reason is always at like 50 to 60 miles an hour for no reason. And it's salt water and sand in everything all the time from start to finish. And if you're not used to that, it is a kick in the back for sure. It's a sledgehammer. Uh, it's really hard to come back from.
0: Yeah, it's a, you know definitely a unique set of environmental conditions down there that not many other people will be exposed to kind of before they hit the beach for the first time.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I don't think we experienced that a whole lot in america uh i don't you know it's not like a cultural thing it's just really a lot of space here and not a, you know there's some different environments but like when you get to do something like it just reminds me of like a scent if anyone went and did a scent or i mean there's been some fun things that i've tried to do over in colorado and in the in the rockies and it's just i don't care how much of a badass you are i don't care what your fran time is or, or what your you know conditioning level is you go up at fourteen thousand feet right away too fast or without enough acclimatization, you're going to get buckled. like it's going to take you down. Um, and there's really not there's no way around it. And the beach is is very similar. I mean, you can be as badass as you want to be in a, in an air conditioned fitness facility, or, you know, it doesn't even matter if it is outside, if it's a totally different environment, that, that change is going to be a massive impact. You'll, you'll deal with it better than somebody who isn't conditioned, but it's still going to be a massive, massive, uh, detriment. It's going to be a huge handicap. So (laughs) anyone who's training for something like that, the major lesson I've learned is anytime you can take some time to go and just your best bet if you were going to do selection in Jacksonville or say, in Colorado or something like that, would be to take two extra weeks off of work and go camp there ahead of time. Even if that means you're not working out, you know, that might actually be better. Let yourself recover and just acclimatize to that environment, and you'll be, you know, a football field ahead of everybody else who's who drove down there, got out of the car, and boom, now you're on the beach for the first time.
0: <laughs> ran, ran
1: the distances
0: day. that I'm here, Cadre. Oh, poor Kling.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that dude just has no quit in him. So,
0: so how long between that first attempt at Goric Selection did you decide that you wanted to sign up and, and try the event again?
1: I think I signed up for 005 that following day or like when I got home. I... I was back at the team house in Jacksonville, feeling sorry for myself. Uh, I think I, <laughs> I curled up with a trash can full of all the food that they took away from everybody. <laughs> it's literally <laughs> like you got back to the team house and they're like, there's a trash can of food over there. And <laughs> so I don't know if I even, I didn't stay. I didn't stay for the finishing party because I was so butthurt. So I didn't get to see Kling's uh, victory dinner. And, and all that stuff. Uh, I, yeah, I curled up with a trash can full of cliff bars, feeling sorry for myself and then, uh, drove back up to North Carolina. And I think I signed up for Chicago within, within that week. Cause I was so pissed off
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and started training like that next day.
0: And so what did you do differently training for the second one? I mean, obviously it sounds like you trained specifically for the event, but was there something that you said, you know, this is what broke me. The first time I'm switching it up for time number two.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I started doing a lot more, just a lot more of the stuff that we did there of rucking, especially in sand. I was lucky enough to have the sand hills of North Carolina out there for Bragg. It's all just fire breaks in the in the pine wood forests of uh, sand trails. So rucking there, but then also uh, lucky too enough to have access to the uh, the gyms on Fort Bragg. So there's tons and tons of Jacobs ladders and rowers and all this other stuff. So I kind of had, it, thankfully, at least enough wherewithal to know that I needed to I needed to be putting down a ton of volume to get my conditioning up. But I didn't want to do the same thing. I knew that just doing tons and tons and tons of rucking under a heavy ruck would break me, uh, or, or have me showing up to the next iteration it just wasn't long enough between the first and second attempt to, um, you know, make a huge physiological change without just accumulating a bunch of overuse injuries. So I tried to keep things varied up as much as possible. So it'd be, you know, but, and a lot of it was like mental toughness kind of stuff. Cause that's really where, where I fell apart. So I would play games with myself where I would go into the gym and I would get on a rower next to somebody else, and I wouldn't get off until they got off. Or I would have my wife, Chanel, was at active duty at the time. She was in the 82nd there on Fort Bragg. So I would ask her to meet me for lunch uh, to work out at one of the facilities, but, you know, it's the 82nd, so sometimes her lunch was at noon, and sometimes it was at one30 and so I would go and I would get on the Jacob's ladder with my backpack on and I would say, I'm not getting off of this thing until she shows up. And I'd turn my phone off and I just have no freaking idea when I was going to be able to get off this thing. But I was just, I'm going to stay on this until something that I can't control happens. So mental games like that really helped in terms of that and uh, training all the time with no, headphones, no music, no, you know, audiobooks, no nothing, just trying to learn how to deal with pain and being inside your own head for the entire time and getting over it was I think a big part of it. Big part of it.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like you did a, I mean, just a ton of work on your mental toughness because, you know, all of that, it's, it's just so up in the air, the stuff you subjected yourself to, which is, you know, pretty similar to go-work events because you never know. Is that kind of what broke you during that first selection event?
1: Yeah, I think it was a combination of a couple of things. You know, trying to look back on it, hindsight is so kind of blurry, you know. But it was a combination of it not really being what I expected it to be. And that affected me more than I, I would have wanted it to. And it's just so... There's there's a different level of control. I don't know. So you know, it's just kind of the difference between you know a regular army thing and maybe a, a, a special operations thing. And I'm kind of going out of my element by speaking to it. But like usually a lot of that stuff, what I was used to, was everything being kind of like regimented and organized. And like okay, we're going to do this thing, and then there's going to be a bathroom break, and then we're going to do this thing, and then we're going to have lunch, and then we're going to do this thing. And then <laughs> but in a, in this sort of event. It's not like that. All the little things are not, there's no time for it. All you're a, You're a big boy. You're supposed to have taken care of all of that stuff ahead of time and you're supposed to take care of it on your own. All we're focusing on is the mission where in this instance, it's the event or the standard of whatever we're measuring during this iteration and all the little stuff like using the bathroom or getting something to eat or making sure you got enough water and stuff So we're not, we don't cover that stuff. You're meant to take care of that on your own and just be ready to, you know, meet the standard as we're measuring it at at all times. And so that mindset, that frame of reference, which is probably pretty standard understanding selection now um, because it's, you know, so well put out there. I just did not have the mindset for it at the time. So I needed to really readjust there. It was a big, big shift, big
0: shift. And so how much time was there between that first and second event for you to make that shift?
1: Oh, uh, I think four months. I think four months. So 002 was, I believe, in January. And then um, Chicago was in May. So yeah, four to five months, I think.
0: That's probably a good amount of time because you've still got your endurance built up from the first one. You can kind of make the at least some of those yeah. major mental changes because that's not so much a, a muscle yeah. that you can overtrain, like like you were saying with your body, and then
1: right. I'm sure you've heard it before a, a couple of times, but like, and I completely agree with what some of the other guys have said. Is there's there's a level of physical fitness that you need to have to get through selection? Sure. But Once you've met that, like, there's no no like level of fitness that's gonna allow you to show up to selection and, and it be easy. Not at all. I mean you've reached every no matter who you are, you've reached muscle failure by the end of the first welcome party. Like that's what it's for is to break everybody down to complete misery level and then now see who's got the mental toughness to not quit and stick it out. So you know there was in that four month time period there wasn't really that's not enough time to really build a huge amount of fitness. You can do a little bit, but that wasn't really the point. It was, it was the, the brain that, that needed to be fixed.
0: That's a great way of looking at it. Cause I mean, there's, you know, there's definitely that bare minimum of fitness. You see it, especially now you see it with the live stream, everything that's going on, the work they have to do, but that, that only takes you so far. And you see that as well.
1: Yeah, it has to be mental because breaking people physically is is easy. It's just we're just gonna do push-ups until you die, right? It, like you know, the human body only has so much that its muscles can do. So if the if the event was truly physical, uh, in nature, it, it would be really easy to just have no one pass ever. Um, but that's not that's not the point. You know, it's it's get everyone down to being hungry, tired, and completely exhausted, and then now play mental games and measure, you know, uh, who's got the determination to, to keep going and, and, and you know, meet the standard.
0: Absolutely. So, so did you feel like when you showed up for that second event that you were more prepared for what the event actually entailed?
1: Yeah. Yes. And, you know, to whatever level that it, it's, you know, um, what do you call it? Ego or overinflation. I was, as I said, like fueled by spite and anger and embarrassment from not finishing, from quitting that, that first attempt. And so it was that whole idea of, you know, having put it out there that I was coming back to try to do this again, that, you know, I wanted to, <laughs> you know, I was, no, I love Kling. He's, he's a, he's a good friend and we've, we've, have stayed in in contact and we've had some great times together since then, but I won't, I won't lie that I used him as a target during that. I I was like, I am so mad that that guy made it through zero zero two and I didn't, and I can't let that stand. Like I used it, I used it as fuel to to get through the second one. So I had this mindset of like no way in hell am I leaving from this one again. I also had more on the line. Uh, on the, on the second attempt in terms of, you know, everyone's a little different, but I, you know, I'm a pretty frugal person. So I'm definitely one of those people where if I put money down on something, like I have a lot more skin in the game than when I don't. So zero zero two, it seems trivial, but zero zero two, I mean, I drove down, it was like a four hour drive down to Jacksonville and gave it, gave it a swing. But, uh, the second attempt, you know, I had a credit for the first one. The second one I paid for selection and it was in Chicago. So I flew up there. And, you know, had to, I did not want to be sitting on that flight back to North Carolina, defeated, and knowing that I quit and wasted that time. So no way in hell was I going to leave. So, yeah, definitely put more skin in the game. I loved, uh, darn it, uh, Mark, uh, one of the yeah, other Mark, I forget his last name, but I love his story in Boston of, literally buying a one-way bus ticket out there and like having no way to get home (laughs) like like i think he like you know whatever like threw his phone in the river like had a one-way bus ticket out there like that is awesome and that's that's what you need for an event that that's that's that psychotic you know burn the boats man (laughs) you gotta show up with no no plan b
0: i mean that's a good way of looking at it because every single plan, you know, B, C, D, E, will just be another thought in the back of your head. You know, I, I could be doing this with friends in the city or I could be, you know, I could just get out of here so quick. I don't have to do
1: this. Yeah, no, for sure. It, it, it was, it was, it's an easy drive home. You know, uh, my wife was like, yeah, you know, I'll love you either way. It's not a big deal. Like <laughs> there's not, there's not enough on the line, you know, and it's, that's what motivates humans to do, Great and and inspiring things is having a lot to lose, having a lot to lose, and whatever that is, you got to find out what it is. What what's going to motivate you to not not take the easy choice? You know,
0: it's interesting because I I think I I hear that a lot from you know people who have finished selection. It's the people who really you know burn the bridges, and so it's a good way of putting it.
1: Yeah, you got to really really want it, and it's yeah, well, it was interesting because in terms of just from you know from the military background you see a lot of the guys who who go through selection or, or one of these other things it's it's a little bit different because it's a career it's it's these are and you listen to you know people who have served in special operations almost to the man their stories are they were playing with you know green army guys and playing navy seals in the backyard since you know, they were three years old. You know, it's been the only thing they've cared about or wanted to do since they were little kids. And, you know, it's it's literally the opportunity of a lifetime. And so when they're showing up to selection, it's it's your shot to do the thing you've always wanted to do in your life or or failure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that is a huge thing. And so, you know, it, it it's to have it in an endurance event like this, and this, you know, a, a mirroring of that kind, those kind of stakes, it's very difficult because, you know, for a lot of us, this is—I I don't know what it costs to sign up for selection these days, but it's a, you know, a couple hundred bucks and a and a car ride. It's not—you're not—if you're you're selected at Goruck Selection, you you are not now a career. Soldier in, in a top tier special operations unit for you know twenty years, it's it's a different story. So you got to find that motivation somewhere else. You gotta you gotta come up with something because it, it, it'll break you otherwise. You need a good reason.
0: Yeah, and I mean not only that, but it's not like you have a speaking tour after either or anything.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. There's no Navy SEAL book deal or uh, or movie offer afterwards. Yeah. No how great your hair is.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you're, you know, if your dream is to, you know, get on the Olympic team, you can at least finesse that into, you know, some kind of photo ops here and there and probably some brand deals, but go selection. Yeah. I mean, you might end up on the podcast.
1: You might end up on a podcast. Hey, that's not bad. Not too shabby. Getting on the all day workout <laughs> podcast. I'd say that's pretty good. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's funny. No, Chicago. Chicago is a different beast altogether. I mean, I don't know if you could pick uh, two completely different environments, at least, and and situations. Jacksonville was, you know, sand and sun and salt water, and you know, Jason McCarthy and like fifteen other, you know, cadre with you know the bullhorns and and all the pomp and circumstance. And then Chicago was. Freezing rain, snow, flooding, freezing cold, and chill as a uh, as a cucumber in the freezer. Uh, (laughs) Lou, you know, giving a very monotone, like, "Okay, candidates, here's what you're going to be doing next. Uh, All right, three, two, one, execute." (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it was it was a totally different experience, but just as hard in its own way.
0: (laughs) So when it comes to the climate. I mean, do you think that you excelled in one versus the other? Were you happy about the, you know, the Chicago terrain or were you kind of missing the sands of Jacksonville?
1: Yes. And I think that's a really important thing uh, for, you know, other athletes looking at, you know, extreme events that they want to excel at or, or, or big thing is know, know your strengths and weaknesses, you know, know what your genetically set up for it. Like, you know, my wife and I are a perfect example. She's, she's Puerto Rican. Like you put her in a 90 degree temperatures, we're working out and it's, it's hot and, and on the beach and sand and like no clothes, like she's thriving and I am dying. Like I will, <laughs> I will pass out. I'll be cranky and angry the whole time and I'll just want to go home. But when it's cold outside, when there's snow on the ground, I am, warm for the most part and and happy and I do so much better in the cold than in uh than in the heat. And so, yeah, it's, uh, for what it can be the the environment it, it, it's still bad, right? Freezing is freezing one way or the other, but definitely felt a lot better in the in the snow and cold um than than on the beaches in Jacksonville for sure. I'll take it any day. Yeah. Much better.
0: Well, I think we all notice that too, that there's, you know, just certain conditions that your body seems to do better in when you're working out. I mean, whether some people are, you know, they like the morning cold and some people like train in when it's the hottest time of day and just kind of looking at when you enjoy training and choosing a climate that's right for that because.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, and, you know, during your training, Absolutely get out of your comfort zone, do the harder thing and all of that. But you know, if you have your choice and you're looking at an event where like every little factor counts and you're trying to win or you're trying to, you know, you know that your margin for error in terms of victory or failure is razor thin. You, you need to be true to that kind of stuff versus saying, ah, I'll, I'll just toughen it up and I'll be, you know, I'll just be harder and get over it. no, no, <laughs> take, right. take every advantage you possibly can when it's time to win, you know,
0: I mean, I'm out, I'm out here in Seattle. So if I'm looking to do an endurance event then I'm looking for one that's, you know, closer to sea level, because that's where I'm at. I'm not looking for Colorado. Like, I'm not going to think I'd go out for there sure. and perform well in any capacity, might finish, but there's, you know, there's no way. So look at what you've got yeah. and, and work with it.
1: Nope. I made that mistake more than once where, you know, Colorado is awesome stuff. There's some kind of endurance challenge up in the mountains and, you know, every time I'll fly out there and be like, yeah, I'm hardcore. I'm ready to do this. And then we'll head out and, you know, go straight up a 14,000 foot peak immediately. And, you
2: know,
1: <laughs> I'll end up getting through it, but I'll definitely, you know, Mount Massive, I think, has got quite a bit of my guts. Uh, still fermenting up there somewhere behind a rock uh, from my last trip over there just because I will immediately get hit with the flu essentially of altitude sickness and then uh, regret every decision I just made <laughs> so then I have to gut out the rest of the, the thing you know always a bad decision
0: so speaking of regrets was there a time during your, <laughs> your, your second selection attempt the one that you finished that you regretted showing up to that event where you said man i should i should have just stayed home i should have not come here and tried this again
1: um no not not one bit i think if that creeps in at all you're done like they do such a good job of keeping the pressure on through that thing not only that but there was a kind of unique circle maybe not unique but uh the, the circumstance in in that zero zero five where there was very little cadre oversight. And so a lot of the time, because it was just Lou and Mickey. And right. I think it was, you know, as James said, as Mickey's very first event ever. So it was like his job interview there with Lou and the environment was horrifying. Like it had flooded, uh, during that time and the entire event up to like the very last couple hours, it was torrential rain and snow and, so it was very hard for them to stay with us. So a lot of times they ordered us to stay together. So, cause if one of us like got delirious and wandered off into the woods or something, we would, they would have never found us. Um, so, but, but what that did anyway was being around these other guys and we didn't talk to each other too much. It's not supposed to. And it kind of motivates you of like, Hey, this dude next to me is still going and not crying and not upset and so I better not show any weakness either there's that, you know, we want, we all want to finish, but at the same time, there's that, like, you know, you're always looking to your left and right in selection at least versus a heavy or a tough or something. You're always looking to your left and right. Like I'm not, I ain't quitting before this guy does kind of thing. And I think that's where I was kind of able to draw a little bit from, from some of that training leading up to it of, of that, you know, not getting off the rower until the guy next to me does or whatever, as silly of a game as that might be that's I think a useful thing to have in your back pocket during those kind of situations where it was like, you know, as you're, you can, you almost need to put in a frame of mind of as guys are dropping or disappearing during selection, which happens, you almost need to, you need to use it as fuel, right? It, It reframe your mind. Instead of looking at it as, Oh my God, things are getting so bad. People are just disappearing. It's look at these guys walking away. Like, I'm feeling okay. I'm still breathing. I'm harder than they are, and I'm going to keep going. I'm going to use it as motivation. Like I'm going to be the one that finishes. As as <laughs> as hubris and like self-aggrandizing as that sounds, like you got to use whatever you can to to stay fueled. And I I think that was that was part of it. I was trying to just as people were disappearing, using it as like a a way to pump yourself up.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you see it especially now during the live feed. I mean, they're doing everything they can to break you down. Like someone's got to be there to build you up. So it might as well be you. It's what, you know, it's, it sounds kind of weird talking about it on the podcast because we're, you know, it's after the fact and we're you're talking about, you know, how awesome you're telling yourself you are. But during the event, you're the only person (laughs) telling yourself that. Everyone else is telling you you're going to quit or you're done or, you know, you don't have what it takes. So you someone's got to cheerlead for you a little bit. Should be you.
1: Totally. And yeah, uh, yeah. And it's, it's, it is weird too, just because it is so, I think that's why they ended up backing off selection there for a while is because it's so quintessentially different than the, than the mentality, which is super positive at, at the tough and, and lights and and heavies even where, you know, that's the whole point of GORUCK is to bring people together and build a team mentality and, you know, take care of each other. But all that's gone at selection. And unfortunately you got to turn it into where it's like, you know, come what may, I'm going to be the one that makes it come hell or high water. And, you know, it's just, it's just a reframing as, as I know, I, I remember hearing James talk about, it, it's like, you don't want to go into selection with a bunch of close friends because when they, when they disappear, not if they disappear, when they disappear, it's gonna be bad. Cause if you know that other person really, really well, and you're close to them, you know, like, dude, that, that guy's tougher than me and that that starts eat, that's you don't want that eating away at your brain. So that might have actually been a strength that I did not know very many people in Goruck. I only knew the people from class 195 that I that I had met and that was pretty much it. Might have actually served as an advantage.
0: I can see that because I mean like you're saying you're looking to your left and your right and you're still not quitting, you know, before they do. But then if it's someone that you've been following, you've seen them perform at previous selection events and you're like, man, that person is way tougher than I am. And then they quit. And you're saying, well, mm-hmm. what what does that say about what's going to happen to me? Exactly. A, exactly. It's a tough spiral to get out of.
1: Yeah. And that's the problem with, with you know, when that stress is on and you haven't slept and you're kind of hungry. It's just once those little feedback loops start, they just, they're so much louder in those heavy, high stress situations and once they start they're really
2: hard to, to squash. And
0: no one's like, stepping in to stop them, them. No one's coming in and <laughs> no, saying, Hey dude, you're doing great. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's yeah.
0: just it's just that perpetual I hurt. This sucks. I'm doing terrible. And it just amplifies and amplifies. Sure. And then it's not till the very end when, you know, you, you know, someone quits and then the cadre said, You're doing really good out there. And they just look and they're like, what? Like I felt like the world was ending. But apparently, I was doing okay. You know
1: what? I will caveat. I will caveat one of the things you just mentioned because you, you know—the question you asked was: Was there any time during the event where you—where kind of, I regretted, you know, being there or wanting to leave or something like that? The, I don't know if it fall into the exact same category, but it's definitely adjacent. Where the unique part about that selection, at least compared to what I've seen that it's kind of become now. Cause they do a really good job now of kind of controlling it. At that point there, like I said, the environment had done some really crazy things at that point. So it had rained, um, so my dad lives in Chicago. And so I had flown up there and stayed with him. And then he had dropped me off at the event. And the entire night before, as I'd flown in and was staying at the house, I I was looking outside and you couldn't see three inches out the window because it was just torrential downpour. And on the radio, you know, the the newscasters were talking about record rainfall and like the storm of whatever years, you know, hadn't seen this, this crazy of a rainstorm or snowstorm in you know, however many years, I'm thinking, holy crap. In the back of your mind, you're, you're hoping that like, oh, maybe they'll postpone it or, <laughs> or something. <laughs> Hell no, they're not going to postpone it. Um, and so like just driving up there, I think it was raining at the start, you know, right from the beginning, it was terrible. And so there were a lot of instances where we'd be set out on a long ruck or, or a route. And, you know, it's if, if Lou, he, if anyone who's had Kedri Lou, or especially in a selection context, he is very—it's not boot camp. The dude, you know, come on over. He never talks up. He never yells. It's, it's gather around. And he lets he lets the event, the thing itself, break you, not his mindset. He's like, all right, candidates, look at this. You know, his hand-drawn map. Like, here's your—you're going on a, a a ruck march. You know, time is unknown. You're going to be held to a standard that you know you're just going to do your best. And, uh, if you meet it, great. If not, we'll see what happens. And, uh, here's your route I've sketched out for you. You have five minutes to to look at it and then off you go. And there were quite a few times there, especially at night where we were walking on frozen paths near roads where man, once you start doing that hallucinating, uh, and, and seeing things and, and kind of sleepwalking in the middle of the night, there were times where I was worried like, man, this is like one of us could wander into the road or one of these cars could like take the curb wrong and like come flying off into us or, you know, I don't know, we get lost in the woods. Like half the paths were flooded or in like knee deep water in places. So where we didn't know if we were going to get like boxed in somewhere, get lost and then not be able to come back. So there's definitely parts there where I was like, I don't know if this is safe. (laughs) There was uh, there was actually a part, man, I think it was on the second day. I don't remember quite well, but we came back from a long ruck march and we were all kind of coming back together and there were cops at the park so we were at like a municipal like public park area outside of chicago so it was in chicago but it was nowhere near downtown it was in this you know uh state park kind of deal and there were cops sitting there at the waiting area and we were like oh man awesome <laughs> maybe maybe they're gonna stop the event or, or something uh but of course, cadre have a wonderful way of like, oh, yeah, I knew a guy from your precinct somewhere. They all got they're all friends. So the cops are like, awesome, man, have a good day and took off and and, and the pain continued. So uh, there were definitely some instances there where we were kind of hoping <laughs> it would uh, it would stop there, but definitely didn't.
0: It's funny the tricks they're able to pull.
1: Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Uh, And that reminds me too. I totally forgot. We actually got stopped by the cops during one of our marches, one of our rucks and the cadre weren't around. We got stopped by the cops. I almost forgot about that. It was because something was happening in the news. Of course we were, you know, not attuned to it, but apparently something was happening at that time in and around Chicago where some guy was, you know, this was what, uh, you know, terrorism was still like a really high order thing that we were thinking about on a, on a regular basis. And so there was some, some reports of like a guy with a backpack doing something around Chicago. So the cops were looking for suspicious people with backpacks on. So we ended up getting stopped and they were asking us a bunch of questions. And it was pretty funny because the state we were in, we were, we were kind of like, playing it up to where i mean we were telling the truth we had our ids and everything on us but we were kind of like hey you know you might want to take us downtown to ask <laughs> us some questions like maybe maybe we should go down to the precinct and talk about this for a while you know in, inside <laughs> or something can we can we talk to you in the back of your cop car if possible it would be great uh, but for whatever reason, they were like, nah, yeah, you guys look fine. Just keep doing whatever weird ass thing you're doing and uh, left us alone <laughs> and took off. So no dice. Kind of hoping we'd have to get picked up by cadre uh, after sleeping in a, in a jail cell for a couple hours or something like that. But no, no, no dice.
0: We're at the very least backseat of a warm cop car for 25 minutes.
1: Yeah. Right. Can we, yeah. Can we do this interview back there? Cause sitting on the side of the road, it's shivering to death is not helping.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) If we could stop by, if we could stop by subway on the way to the precinct too, that'd be super duper. Thank you, sir. (laughs) Yeah. Nope. Didn't happen. Unfortunately. (laughs)
0: Unfortunately. So was there any point, you know, during this event, where you kind of figured that you were going to make it through, because I mean you had done the mm. you know, the, the selection event before it, and you're coming back for this for your second attempt. Yeah. Was there a time where you're like, you know, because you're second guessing yourself? It sounds like a, a lot of the time, as everyone else is looking to their left, looking yeah. to their right. But was there a time you're like, you know what, you know, I think I've, I think I've got this. Let's see how this plays out.
1: Yeah, yeah, I yes, for sure. And I think a lot of that goes back to. Uh, what the original, you know, go ruck challenge, there was a reason they started at usually, what was it? 9 PM usually is when the start times used to be. And I think now during like, you know, the 10 year reunion or anytime they throw down like a classic challenge, it usually starts at night. Kind of, there's a reason for that is because the, the sun is so powerful in terms of psychological, uh, you know, it's, it goes to the fundamental <laughs> Part of who we are. Uh, we we are you know sun-driven creatures, and uh, so the 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 quit almost always happens at night. The doubt almost always happens at night. You know that's when the sleepwalking hallucinations and like freaky you know night demons come out to to bother you. But when the sun comes up and starts shining down, and you know that you know we're hey we're coming around the thirty-six hour mark. Got to be because the sun's coming up. You start those you can't help but have those thoughts like all right we're on the downward slope you know they beat the hell out of us up to this point you can't you can't beat you know us too much more there's only so much more they can do to us and uh, we're still holding out so yeah those thoughts start creeping in and they're motivating you know
0: yeah knowing myself i'd probably be second guessing whether i'd actually seen the sun for the second time or if i just imagined (laughs) it
1: yeah well, I'm really bad about that. So there's a funny story from from later on after this. I think I did team death race with um, with with Mark and Matt Francis and James Reeland and um, and uh, the and a couple other great guys were all up there for death race. But <laughs> that's when we got to find out that like I am really bad at night. Or some people, I think some people are just. I start sleepwalking or, you know, passing out like pretty much immediately. Like I have to be doing something constantly to keep myself awake at night during ultra endurance events. Some people are much, much better at it. James is significantly better. I am a cranker pants. So anytime, like I'm actually probably better off in a selection type event at night because all I have to do is deal with myself. Like, if I have to be in a team, in a heavy or something, I am the worst teammate to be with at night. <laughs> I'm just an asshole. Um, but uh, so, yeah, when, once that sun starts coming up, uh, it, things start getting a whole lot better. You start being able to keep your eyes open and um, stay focused on things a little bit better. So, and that was also when um, there's a video out there for, uh, on our selection class, the Chicago Tribune, whatever, came out to do a piece. And, uh, of course, you know, they came out in the last couple hours when the sun was out. So if you watch our selection, uh, video on YouTube, it looks like these guys, wow, they're doing some flutter kicks in the sun in a puddle, you know, uh, couldn't have been that hard. <laughs> it was like during the last like couple hours when uh, the weather got nice and, uh, we were so beat down that none of us are moving very fast. So everything looks like it's in slow motion. And, uh, but it was, yeah, it was fun. But at at that point, yes, we were like, yep, I think we're going to make this. I think this is going to happen.
0: It's so funny getting that little glimpse into the event after the events already gone on for so long, because I mean, back then there wasn't the live feed, there wasn't all of that. So like you said, you've got this, you know, you're for what, 45 hours in and they've got you on video doing some flutter kicks and it probably looks like garbage, probably looks like hot trash. and. (laughs) and everyone's like wow those are the people who
2: finished
1: yeah it, it's a weird thing with too. is that uh, you know going back and shadowing selection because i know um you know you know there's a lot of a lot of times guys will come back and um guys who have finished selection will you know come back to check out other ones and a lot of times it ends up turning into a social more of the time because actually selection is a super boring event to shadow like it is not fun and i i can imagine trying to like the, the video crews that had filmed Jacksonville and stuff. I, I imagine that was a pretty tough job actually to try to make that entertaining because it's, it's long and it takes place over a super long period of time and nothing, very little happens, right? You know? So like a welcome party is probably the most exciting thing that happens, but it's usually at night, right? So you don't really see much anything. It's just a bunch of shadowy slug looking objects, flinging sand around on a beach for a while. And then these long ruck marches and runs or, you know, sandbag baby carries or, or, you know, the buckets of water kind of thing. You can be there at the start, but then unless you're planning on trekking along for eight miles with these guys, like you're not going to see what's going on. Most of it happens far off somewhere uh, on their own. So it's it's a pretty boring event to watch. And so, yeah, it, it being filmed by them, like, Especially at that point when everyone's moving you know at two miles an hour and is you know essentially asleep on their feet like it, it doesn't look like much at that point <laughs> it looks pretty boring
0: no and i mean you can kind of see that now when you see people hop on the live feeds for gorg selection and they're just you know it's the first time they've hopped on they don't know what they're looking at and it's 24 36 hours into the event and they're just you know criticizing their pull-up technique or they're like that is a terrible murph like <laughs> yeah. i could do way better yeah. it's, it's like you you missed the, all everything up to this point yeah. like they're at muscle failure like three times right. over at least
1: right yeah go do go do murph three times and then let me then take a video of your pull-up technique and let me critique you yeah for sure <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's tough because I mean, so much is lost in that first forty-five yeah. hours, and then all you see is this final clip of flutter kicks. You're like, huh? All right, let's go our right. selection,
1: <laughs> right? And maybe that, and that's one of the great things I think that makes. Selection and events like it so kind of mysterious and lets them kind of hold their sort of mystery even when all the components of it are sort of known to everybody. Is that it just doesn't fit into our attention span very well? It's not you can't really watch it and you can't really follow it that well. So it just sort of is able to retain it. It's sort of like a self, self-limiting, self-protecting kind of you know framework. There, it's it's cool. So. You just got to experience it.
0: Even the way they do it now with, with all the live feed, I still find myself not fully comprehending it because I'll turn it up, you know, turn it on in the morning, just see how everyone's doing, watch a couple minutes and then maybe pop in when my kids are going down for a nap. And then once they're, you know, in bed, yeah. just kind of see what's going on and then wake up the next morning and go, Oh, people are still out there, but it never really clicks that right. between popping in and seeing people you know still doing work I'm off doing other things you know doing whatever but they're still out there at that intensity the entire time
1: right right well and that's the other thing too is like pain and intensity like that has such a time machine or time warp like effect because even though it is a long event at the same point you get distracted you go do something else like half of selection can be over with you going to work or you know, going to the grocery store and then, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you jump back on and check it out and it's halfway over. But when you're in the middle of it, it's insane how long that feels. You know, it's like, uh, you know, in CrossFit, a 20 minute AMRAP of something feels like an hour and a half when you're going full bore and your heart rates to the roof and you're in the pain cave, you know, it, it has a way of stretching things out, especially when you aren't allowed to wear a watch and there's no, no clock on the wall. Like it's, Feel like you're there for an eternity and it's never gonna
0: end. Yeah, you start second guessing if the timer's actually running or not, or if you might have missed it going off. <laughs> like it must right. have gone off by right. now. I must have been just like working out really hard and I missed the uh the alert.
1: Right. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: So looking back at your, you know, second attempt at Gorex selection, the one you completed, are there any you know, stories, any moments that you find yourself even now, years later, just kind of remembering and laughing about, or, you know, just like something that comes back because, you know, looking back at my previous events, I'll have moments from certain events that will, I don't know how, but they just kind of, you know, pop into your mind, something will happen, you'll just remember it. Are there points from Gorak selection that you just kind of, even today, they just kind of pop back here and there?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Uh, part of it was afterwards of course because that's when a lot of your brain comes back but uh, during during for sure I um, I always laughed at those logs that we we had to carry it, it you kind of got to see it to, to <laughs> in the in the uh, in the video that was one thing they did capture pretty well in that uh, YouTube video was uh, the stupid logs that we were carrying around all the time it' was literally just some driftwood that um, you know, Lou and, and Mickey had found in the woods somewhere. And, uh, you know, just these massive logs that when they pulled them out, they were like, okay, your next hike, you're going to bring these things with you. And just look, and actually I I, I sent you some pictures uh, from the event because there were some pretty cool, awesome GRTs who had showed up there towards the end uh, when the weather got nice and, and took some pictures. And so you can see some of the just obnoxious, uh contraptions because thank thank god that james was smart enough to bring you know uh nylon webbing and some carabiners and all kinds of good stuff so the obnoxious little like makeshift uh apparatuses we built to try to hold them between us and um you know it's just that quintessential thing of why we carry the log a lot in go events is you know At some point, you just got to realize that it's just going to suck. There's a lot of it. You can think all day and draw up schematics of like, how can I optimize the way we carry this thing so that it's the least amount of, you know, shoulder pain? Just at some point, like do the best you can. And at some point, it's just going to hurt real bad. And you just got to carry this thing. So that's, that's what I laugh about a lot is, uh, you know, the, the, the fun circus tricks we went through trying to make those logs a little bit easier and then the sort of resignation that comes over you eventually we're just like ah screw it and we just pick them up and carry them <laughs> and rotate them every once in a while do the best you can. <laughs> it was one time where I was pretty thankful to have a uh, framed rucksack. I did like my, uh, my Alice pack there because that Having a metal frame on your backpack is when you have to put a giant hard object on top of your pack. On the back is nice to have a little bit of stability there. But um, yeah, no, it, it, at some point it just hurts and you got to just do it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, at some point you can't beat the log. I mean, you're still carrying <laughs>
1: Now, and the other fun part, the story for thinking back to was just was afterwards, which was really, really fun. Which, you know, that was, um, you know, like I said, my dad had uh, dropped me off there at the event. And um, after the event, you know, as soon as it's over, you all become best friends because none of the three of us had really realized that it was over at all or that, you know, that we had all made it. And, uh, so immediately it was like, I think, you know, as I think James recalled that, you know, he had done his due, due diligence and kind of burned the bridges. Like he didn't have much going on after they hit had like his rental car and that was pretty much it. And so I was like, all right, everyone, we're all getting in the van. I was like, Hey, Hey dad. And my step mom, you know, Hey, can we make a quick call? Can we put these guys up for the night and go, go home and, and have food or something? And to his credit, um. My dad and my stepmom were awesome and we're like, yeah, piled in the van, headed back to their house. And like, my stepmom had like a whole like smorgasbord of awesomeness laid out when we got there. So we essentially obliterated the mudroom and, and took a shower, passed out for about six hours and then ate our faces off. And that was, that was the best. That's what I remember a lot.
0: Now nah, that sounds like a good time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Afterwards is always the best. <laughs> the ruck off, right? Yeah. The whole point. <laughs> It's all about.
0: So, how did it feel? You know, finishing up the event. You had mentioned that you were driven by spite for possibly ninety percent of it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a huge weight lifted off the shoulders. I think it was like a, finally a, a little bit of. It was a nice validation of like,
2: because
1: man, you you know, you see so many people try and not make it, uh, and um, you think that what you're doing to prepare is the right thing, and you're trying to hope that you know the the mindset you've cultivated, or the things that you've trained to do and toughen yourself up is enough, but you don't really know until it's validated. And so it is, it's a nice little bit of validation of like, oh, awesome. Well, whatever I did, it must've been, must've been enough. And, uh, it's cool to have that little bit of, um, yeah, that, that check in the box of awesome uh, must have must have did enough to to make it through because here we are and uh like I said it's bewildering you don't really realize it's, it's happening at first and uh until it is so yeah <laughs> end of selection definitely comes out of nowhere for everybody I don't care who you are it's a surprise
2: because
1: <laughs> you're just you're you're in like a you know not to misuse the term but like a stockholm syndrome kind of thing you you put your brain or your mind in a place of like I, if this never ends, if we are here forever, like I'm not quitting, like we're going to keep going. And so you can't, you know, if you start thinking about it being over around the next time, it's like that summit, you know, if, if you've ever done switchbacks on a mountain, it's like, Oh, well, the summit has to be around the next one, obviously. Because, <laughs> and it never is. And you're just going to set yourself up for defeat. So you, you put yourself in a mindset of like, this isn't going to end. I'm just keeping going. Just focus on the next put in front of you and the next task at hand. Um, and then, then it's all of a sudden it's over and you almost don't believe it for a few seconds. You think it's a trick. You know? You're so vested in the, in the little universe that you're in of selection that you uh, forget that there's, you know, all you're back in the real world again.
0: I can, I can see that. So speaking of, you know, selection kind of being its own little world and, and getting back in the real world was there anything that you're able to take out of selection and apply it to your you know your life moving forward
1: oh my god everything um yeah it's just I think there's actually just a, a great quote from from Lou in there in that video of just like hard times make hard people and i'm not you know i'm not calling myself hard necessarily but like doing hard things i, I learned that lesson so many times time and time again and i remember selection every time i see it manifest in the business world or in education or in, you know, anything that I'm going after is there's no substitute for a gut check, like just hard experiences in life. You know, the doing hard things, whatever that looks like for you, shapes you and changes you. And, um, sets you up for being able to take on other things. And I think, I think it's, it's a something, it's fundamental in, in the human psychology and physiology of like, if you don't have hard experiences in your life, it, it's, it, it causes issues, right? So it'll, it, you know, maladaptations in terms of dealing with, with things maybe, but uh, the, having some hard experiences is, it's, I'm sure it's a fine line between hard experiences and and damaging trauma, right? There's definitely that to consider, but hard, tough things that you just have to overcome, uh, I think set you up to be able to just not be as flustered by the other things in life. I think that goes back to why in ultra endurance, uh, stuff and in other adventure races that I've done, it, 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 follow, it tracks relatively closely with what you see in selection. The average age of finishers is in the thirties versus say some other sports where, you know, your peak athletes are in their teens in some instances, or, you know, Olympic athletes in their twenties or something, not that, you know, training for and being good at the Olympics is obviously a tough thing in and of itself, but events and sports that are just grueling you know grinders that just you know challenge your ability to mental fortitude that the people who tend to do well at it are the people who have you know been kicked hard by life a couple of times you know who have dealt with some really hard things and are showing up to this and able to go yeah well you know I've, yep this is hard but i've also you know it's not the end of the world i know i'm not going to die uh and so that's definitely something that i've taken from selection and i i was that's probably why I didn't make it through zero zero two is, you know, I was y- on the younger side. I was one of the younger people and, um, you know, hadn't had the, the hard experiences in life. So, um, the selection will go down as one of those things that was definitely formative for me so that other things that I've done since then that have been difficult are not at nowhere near as difficult as they could have been because of it. Cause I can go, well, yep, I've been here before. I've hurt worse than this. I've, get through in in situations that were harder than what I'm dealing with right now.
0: So Yeah, that's always yeah. a it's always a, a nice reference point in some regards to be able to have. And I remember that was one of the things that kind of surprised me the most about my first Gork event, which, you know, clearly wasn't selection. It was a it was a Gork challenge, but, you know, just doing things months after that being like, you know, this is tough, but after four hours under that log at that event I did a couple months ago, that was way harder than this. Like, this is, you know, this isn't, this really yeah. isn't that bad relatively speaking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Not to go too off on the, the philosophical train, but it's, it, it has inspired me to, you know, pursue some of this stuff in in professional careers. And I think looking back at, you know, that GORUCK itself and the community, what you're integrally a part of and a leader in it's, fundamental to it is that the reason the glue holding the go ruck community and the, and the, you know, all day ruck off uh, community together is you've all got this thing in common of having done something hard. And, um, a book I always recommend to people is a uh, tribe by Sebastian Junger. It's a, it's a great one. And one of the things he talks about in that book is rites of passage and how they are so fundamental, especially to young men, but, but, you know people in general in terms of they're part of cultures since the beginning of of humans and they've been around and and now though today passing your driver's test or sitting for your ACTs or SATs rather uh it could be as much as we could possibly consider as like a you know enforced social you know rite of passage and it isn't there's no physical component to any of that stuff so what we find is like events like this, like GoRuck and things where we're now seeking a a validation, a, you know, I am, I'm part of the tribe. I can contribute. I'm strong. I can, you know, I can, I can haul water <laughs> kind of deal. And, uh, I think that's why these communities are so tight knit is because it, it taps into something fundamentally human.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, you know, with the community there'll be no shortage of firewood from the logs we can haul logs
1: (laughs) that's right that's right we're never gonna be cold that's right
0: (laughs) i mean you you completed selection you got your patch you know like you said it it snuck up on you you had a a great time afterwards getting your hours in getting your food in what was recovery like from all this
1: um yeah, no, I, I think it was <laughs> so funny, funny story on recovery and then seriously talking about it. The funniness is, is that um, this was during that time when um, I don't know whether I just got on the kick of it or I felt like there was a kick of it in general in GORUCK and it was happening in CrossFit too around the same time. This was when compression gear was like super popular. Um, so like, you know, uh, what, CWX or something like that and like um, 2XU big companies, you know, compression was really good for your circulation and like could allow you to do things that you otherwise couldn't do and keep you warm when it's cold. It eh, sort of, you know, it's a little bit sketchy, uh, on the outset. And so I was wearing full on, uh, compression gear underneath all of the stuff that I had on for, for most of the selection. And I just remember the n- painful, uh, red, scratchy, angry nightmare. It was peeling, cutting off, I think some of that stuff in the shower, uh, afterwards, because the stuff had literally just like fused to my body, uh, at that point. Um, so that it was probably the most painful shower of my life was getting all of that off and all the little like rubs and rashes and, um, you know, chafing that occurs during that because that stuff is so close to your skin. Any little bit of dirt or mud that managed to work its way in there, he paid for it for sure. And uh, so that was not fun. Um, But to the note of some of the other um, selection finishers that you've had on here is that you can't go into selection worried about getting injured because you will. You should actually just check it Check the box of like, I'm willing to, you know, lose something in in the course of this. And, um, it did, I'm pretty sure I had stress fractures in my feet. I never went and got like checked out or anything, but we did, I, I did a lot of my training, you know, like I said, in the sandhills of North Carolina and didn't pound nearly as much. It was mostly pavement, even though a lot of it was underwater at, in Chicago, but it was a lot of like paved trails and, and, sides of roads and things. And so I know my feet were like, you know, raw chicken uh, afterwards. And um, but otherwise, thankfully, I think I think partly because, again, the cold weather um, may have actually served to make it so we didn't get as injured as we possibly could have, because it was freezing cold. And we were in water a lot. Uh, but a lot of times it was like up to your knees or something like that, or we'd be waiting across a stream or something. And as horrible as that is psychologically, it's actually, you know, we're essentially being iced down the entire event. So in terms of like inflammation and, uh, you know, potential injury there, we're kind of always being therapeutically iced down if you think about it, uh, during that. So I was actually pleasantly surprised at how uninjured I was coming out of that thing. So, yeah, I think the cold actually did help in that instance.
0: One of the few things that helped you during the event.
1: Yeah. Right. It was one of those ones where, you know, at some point you, you don't feel as much. And so it, and you've been through water enough times that you're just kind of over it. And so you get through it and then you actually, it's nice because your legs are numb there for at least a few minutes. And so you just don't feel it. (laughs) You don't feel whatever the pain was or nagging thing was for a while. So it just lets you bliss out for a little while.
0: (laughs) For for better or worse.
1: For better or worse. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, Well, I I mean, that shower just sounds awful because I've no, just doing regular events, like you just get, you know, one area that it kind of chafes a bit and then you get in the shower and the first time the water hits it, it's just so painful. I mean, that must've been your entire body. Yeah. It sounds like a nightmare.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there were, there were pros and cons to it. Cause I mean, you know, um, the, a lot of the stuff that I had worn, you know, had like ties and, and some other stuff to it. It's definitely one of those situations where if you're wearing anything too complicated, uh, it's going to fail you uh, once it gets caked with enough mud and sand and dirt and, and especially. Uh, when it's so cold your just your hands just stop working and so um the the nice thing about the compression at least was that it just was stretchy or or tied so i didn't really have to do much with my hands if i needed to change or use the bathroom or something like that cuz like if you had in the middle of that thing in the woods if, if i had needed to like unzip things or button things or anything like that that required any level of dexterity it just wouldn't have happened i just would have ended up leaving it or something um, So yeah, you got to make everything like three-year-old caveman simple um, at that point. That's definitely one of those things you don't think about before you go in. You're like, oh yeah, that'll be fine. And then you know you're half asleep and your fingers don't work. And then you know I'm sure everyone's been there.
2: Oh yeah, (laughs) got to make
1: it real simple.
0: Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it because I mean I've I've gone out and rocked and run when it's been you know snowing out, and every now and then I'll just you know I'll be a short run or it'll be a a short rock and I'll forget my gloves I'm like you know it's fine whatever but then you get home and you put your you know your hands under the water and your hands burn you're like man this was a terrible idea but you like you can't do anything with oh you're you're like trying to open the door and you've got your door handle in your hand you're turning it but like nothing's turning you're like why is my grip not gripping this door you're like you know what is going on and kind of looking at it from that point of view Like that's what you'll be working with during this event. So make sure that you don't have something that requires seven zippers and you have to snap this and seal this and to make it work because those, like that's where your hands will be at. Never thought of it that way.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: So thank, yeah. Thank you for, for explaining it that way.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Put all, put all your stuff on and then go do like a polar plunge. Like put all your, put all your junk on and then, uh, jump in a lake, <laughs> swim around for a minute, then come back out and now try to like, you know, uh, unzip your pants or, 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 you know, tie your jacket, retie it, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah, it just, it's real bad. But I mean, thankfully, like that's, it, I, I always recommend to people, You know, I don't want to turn into a whole long gear conversation. Cause I know that's a funny uh, stereotype in the, in the Gora community, but like, I always just tell people to go to an army surplus store and buy like some old junk. Cause it's,
2: It's good. It'll
1: last. It'll take the beating. And the good thing about army, army stuff generally is like it has like the pants, the Gore-Tex pants or or jacket that I had have big, stupid person level zippers like that can be operated by ham fisted people, (laughs) Uh, big zippers and snaps and ties. So they usually have like three or four different ways of closing and opening the thing. So like when one fails or your fingers don't work or it's clogged with mud or something, you can usually still get it by, you know, to make it, make, make it go. So that's what I usually tell people to do.
0: That's awesome. Cause at some point, you know, with the mud, the zippers are going to fail with dexterity, you yeah. know, you might not be able to get the snap, put them all on there. We'll, we'll figure out what works given the yeah, present all, conditions. Something's
1: going to work at some point, yeah. Worst case, you just tie a knot and just hope for the best and keep going.
0: (laughs) Worst case, tie a knot. You maybe get half of each of them. Who knows? It's halfway zipped. You got the snap on the other side. (laughs) Think, cross your fingers.
1: (laughs) Yep. Yep. You'll get by.
0: (laughs) I feel like we've done a a really good job, you know, running through these events. Is there, you know, is there anything that we might've glossed over or missed or now that, you know, you've been thinking about this for an hour and 40 minutes? that you that you recall that you want to to talk about
1: if i haven't covered it it's been covered by uh by others in in a more eloquent and, and even better way and i think that uh i think it's if anything to leave it with it's just the same thing that that people thought this event is um it is what it is there's no secrets to it there's no um you know uh these these ten try this one easy trick and you'll pass selection, right? What's the clickbait title thing? You know? <laughs> yeah,
2: there's no
1: there's nothing. You just need to want it enough. And uh and like I was kind of saying, I think I think the um I think the two most important things that you probably don't hear quite enough, maybe are uh, kind of what we talked about there earlier, which was just this this will tap into your fight or flight response. Like this event is is heavy enough that it will take you back to, to, it'll take you to a a regress your mind to a point where you're just thinking about survival. And so thinking that you have the motivation when you're sitting in your home, like getting amped up about it, you need to have something primal and down to your core that is motivating you to do it and, and set something up like, like what Mark did, right? Where like buying a one-way bus ticket and, you know, throwing away your phone kind of deal where you kind of got to leave yourself either no options or you need to be so motivated by something primal by, you know, hope or, or hate in my case or something like that, that will stay, that will last some, the only you know, at, at that level of tiredness or hunger or, or exhaustion, you think in colors, you only think, you know, what's the fight club quote, you're like, like you speak in vowels only, right? Everything's down to its uh, very basic primal level. And so higher order stuff will be gone. And so, you know, you can't rely on that um, to, to finish. And then, and then that second part too is, I've seen quite a few very elite level, very just refined Ferrari custom 1911 level athletes who have done selection and then quit because a part of their body started to break or fail on them. And they didn't think in their mind there is a level of fitness or some way they could have done it to you know that was oh I must not have been prepared because my my foot started to break or I felt like I was starting to get you know whatever nope it's 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 at a level where you need to be willing to let that happen and know that you're not you're very you're going to be very lucky you're going to be Olaf or or some level of uh, Chris Way level uh, parahuman to be able to get through this thing without some kind of injury and that's okay because you can get through it and and, um, and you will. Uh, if you set your mind to it. So I, I, I don't know. Those would be the things I would leave people with if, if people are listening to this, uh, thinking that they're going to take the event on. You know, I think those are two things that you don't, you don't quite hear enough.
0: Thank you so much for downloading the All Day Rock Off podcast. This has been episode number 150. If you want links to anything we talked about during the interview, you can head on over to AllDayRockoff.com/150 Grant, thank you so much for being on. Truly appreciate it. Had a ton of fun. Hope you did as well. And hopefully we talk again soon. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to help support the All Day Rockoff podcast, you can do so by leaving a review, either Apple Podcasts or Facebook. You can also visit the online store AllDayRockoff.com/store. Finally, there's Patreon, patreon.com slash alldayrockoff and a couple extra bonuses for supporting that way as well, including some bonus content episodes. And there is a little bonus content from this episode that will be going up there pretty soon. So thank you for everyone who supports that way. And just thank you for downloading the podcast. In this episode, I want to take a quick minute to say thank you so much to Brian for supporting through Patreon. Truly appreciate it. It really means a lot, and I just want you to know that. Thank you. And everyone listening in, hope you're staying safe out there. Keep a schedule, keep rocking, keep being smart. And as always, don't forget, attitude is everything. Keep yours positive. And thank you again for tuning in.